Welcome to Food on the Move, Movers and Shakers podcast, a podcast that highlights our passion for making an impact in our communities on issues surrounding food insecurity. It's all about the reason we, as an organization, do what we do, and the many incredible people using their time and talent to challenge the status quo in order to make the world better than they found it. We call them Movers and Shakers. Hey, what's up? It's your boy Ramal, a.k.a. The Hometown Heat. I'm Taylor Hansen. I'm Daniel Stoltz. And I'm Kevin Harper. Welcome to the Movers and Shakers podcast, where we talk to people that inspire us with who they are, what they do, and how they're making a difference in the world. Today's episode is a really awesome guest. Yes. Wynn Claybaugh is actually a motivational speaker, so he has trained and inspired other people on how to tell their story and how to inspire others to, to live up to the great potential in their life. He is the co-founder of Paul Mitchell, the schools, uh, which is over a hundred schools for um, cutting hair and for beauty across the United States. He's an incredible influence on the people that he's around and the teams that he's built. We've seen it firsthand because Food on the Move has partnered with Paul Mitchell here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, it's just been a real life example of how your leadership as, as somebody that really believes in people can trickle down and impact people at all levels. Oh, and Taylor, we got to spend time with Wynn last fall at his event. Yeah. It was just amazing to to see the heart of this guy that literally raises money to give millions of dollars away to other charities to make sure people have the needs met in such a spectacular way. And just spending that time with him, you really got to see his true heart. And it's really incredible. So incredible conversation coming yeah. up. Here we go. We are honored to be here today with Wynn Claybaugh from the Paul Mitchell, the school. And uh, it's just such an honor to be able to connect with you today. It's really, really my pleasure. By the way, I don't, I don't think I was really invited to be here today. I think I sort of invited myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you very much were invited. I will say we have such a mutual uh, love of connecting with people that are doing the most with what they have. I think it, it feels like a, such a natural thing to have you on this podcast, but you certainly were. I was very excited to invite you to participate because you, you capture the spirit of movers and shakers, um, mm -hmm. which is the theme of this whole podcast. I agree. And just getting to firsthand experience the event uh, last fall. Wow. When that was just so amazing and we'll talk about it later, but just your heart really shined through and love what you do in the community. So, so maybe we just jump off for our listeners. Um, we've, we've covered people using, using their, their influence and their creativity on lots of different platforms. But you're such a unique story to me um, because one, you have a real passion for people and you see that in the work that you do with Paul Mitchell, the schools, not only with your team, but the culture that you have established. And I think you've really championed. Um, you also have this long history as a motivational speaker, not just being an entrepreneur, but out there inspiring people to, to really embody positivity. And in fact, in your book, your, your wonderful book that I've uh, just been devouring, which is called Be Nice or Else, uh, I love because the spirit of it is this understanding of sort of starting with yourself, right? Look, you know, Michael Jackson said it best, start with the man in the mirror, come on. <laughs> um, and you, you, you really capture in a, both a lighthearted way and then also a very deeply meaningful way with the Be Nice or Else book. Look, you make choices about how you walk into every room and being willing to say, you know what, that wasn't so nice of me. So maybe just start with sharing a little bit about you know, how you found yourself in, in a place where you, you really could see those two sides and begin to put it into practice because as an entrepreneur, you've been innovative. 
But I think the most exciting thing is you've not just built businesses, but you've built culture. And not a lot of people can say that. Well, I, I love that word, and I'm, I'm glad that you're using that word, culture, because how I feel, how I believe is that when two people come together, there's a culture. And we have to decide what that culture looks like and what it feels like, or it will be decided for us. There is going to be a culture, so we have to be very, very specific and plan out exactly what that needs to look like. And so I knew that when we started my company, that there had to be a culture where people wanted to belong to that, because that's one of the basic human needs is that people want to belong. People have that, that sense of, of needing to feel like they are a part of something bigger than themselves. I, I love telling that joke. So there's this man given a tour of his work facility, of his store. And the person asks, uh, so how many people work here? And the man responds with, oh, about half, about half work here. <laughs> and the reason why that can't happen in some companies and some organizations is because people are not engaged. Maybe they're engaged with their time, meaning they show up for one thing and one thing only, and that is to receive a paycheck. So you've engaged my time. I'm here from nine to five because I got to get paid. I have to pay the bills. But we don't engage people's, their, their hearts and their creativity and their passion and their teamwork. And so what I want to do is I want to engage people, not just because they need that paycheck, but because I created an environment for them, a culture for them where they feel safe, where they feel like they belong and where they feel like they're making a difference. They have a purpose. That, that's a very evolved perspective and one that you see in the most successful businesses, but it is one that, that people have to learn, right? They have to learn and probably painfully in some cases, right? Businesses that go, I got a business idea and they just, they never get past that initial concept because people don't want to want to be there, right? And which is, which is something you, you do have to learn in some cases through experiences, but also through mentorship. And you've, I know you've mentored people and been that example. Hey, I've been there, done that. I've, I've seen it. Well, that's what makes any good leader a good leader. And that's what I strive for is to be a good leader. And I believe that good leaders are storytellers. And sometimes leaders only want to share their stories of their victories and the kind of car they drive and how much money they make and all the, the accolades and the rewards. Okay, but there was a lot of falling down as well. Can I hear that story? Because that's the story that I can relate to. That's the story that makes you a human. And so... I, I have been clean and sober for 20 years, and I am very, very vocal about that. I am transparent about the times that I have fallen down because people can then look at me and think, gosh, you know, Wynn looks like he's sort of doing okay, uh, and, and he went through that, so maybe there's hope for me. But if we're not telling those stories, then there's no, there's no hope. There's nothing for people to look forward to. And, and why can't the work environment be that source of hope for people? When you consider how much time we spend in the workplace, sometimes we're spending more time with those people at work than, they, than we are with our own children, with our own spouses, mm -hmm. with our own lovers and partners. And so why shouldn't the work environment be a place where, again, we feel safe? And when we feel safe, you better believe we're going to perform at our best. Where we feel like we belong, 60% of people say, no one has my back and by the way, half of them are married. <laughs> Can you imagine people leave a home environment and who knows what that home environment is like? It could be an environment where there's abuse going on. So they leave the home environment and now they step into the work environment. My gosh, if that work environment is also a place or can be a place where people feel like they, they're safe, where they belong, and also that they're making a difference. 
And you don't have to be working in a soup kitchen to feel like you're making a difference. You can work in a pizza parlor and feel like you have a purpose, that you have a passion, that you're making a difference. So I just feel really strongly about that culture, the 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 need for that. Um, you know, this, this podcast isn't visual because uh, otherwise your listeners would would know that um, I'm bald, I have no hair, and yet I'm in the hair business. But by the way, I'm not a hairdresser. So you, you sort of asked me about how I started off. I'm, I'm not yeah, a hairdresser, never been a hairdresser, uh, never went to college, not one day of college. I, I barely, and I mean barely, graduated from high school. Apparently, they want you to show up. <laughs> I, I was busy, I told them. <laughs> which, which we are not advocating, right? We want to be, we want to be tr- truthful. We're not, we're not advocating that. But you overcame what would be a statistical you know, group of things that set you back. You're saying, look, you, you, broke, you broke the mold on this, on what it means to reach business success. And to have that kind of wisdom and just approach to work culture, you had to have a beginning and, you know, you didn't just, you know, come out the gate and like, you know what, I didn't do high school, didn't do college, but here I am. And I'd love to hear that story of how you got started, how you jumped in and, and gained this wisdom and confidence and, and became the person you are today. Okay. Well, it wasn't wisdom. It was desperation. <laughs> you know, Tony Robbins says that it's either inspiration or desperation that gets us motivated. And for me, way back then, when I started my company almost 40 years ago, uh, it was desperation. I was probably as close to being suicidal without actually being suicidal. I was desperate. I was miserable, and I needed to find some answers. Now, again, without college education, um, I, I was never really a good reader, or I was told that I was not a good reader, and I believed that person who told me, and so I never really read a book. And how I gathered information was through mentors. And I, would, I was always on the hunt. Like my mom says that how she got me to eat breakfast when I was a little kid was to tell me that that's what Walt Disney ate for breakfast. And so, of course, because <laughs> I always had that desire. I, I had that, 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 that yearning to follow successful people and not just celebrities, because there's celebrities who I really don't care what they have to say. You know, Taylor, I'm attracted to you as a celebrity because, yeah, you have that stage and you have that platform, but you're using it in a way that benefits other people. And so I was always attracted to people who had notoriety, who had fame, uh, and they were doing really good things with that power. Uh, And so I started following these wonderful mentors and everybody from like a a clinical approach to psychotherapy through people like John Bradshaw to Marianne Williamson, Leo Buscaglia, just a lot of wonderful mentors. But for me, it wasn't enough to read their books or to sit in their seminars. I had to meet them. I had to like sneak backstage. I was like a motivational speaker stalker. <laughs> I, I had to get close to these people, not wow. because I was inspired to, but because I was desperate. Well, talk, talk about what makes you desperate. I mean, because I, I do want to come back to you being so open about acknowledging, you know, coming through real deep, dark challenges, but specifically that desperation in business and to talk about what that means. You, Because internally, I know you, a lot of times we're thinking things or feeling things that others just can't see. Mm-hmm. And we may, even when people that are successful, you really do, you could say I was desperate in some of the moments that the world really said, even on paper, you're successful. So what made you feel you were so desperate? I mean, what was going on? You say you're desperate. Was it, I couldn't pay my bills, I couldn't pay tomorrow? Or was it a, an aching, hey, I, I, my purpose is, is not being fulfilled, I'm miserable, maybe all of the above? 
all of the above, you know, plus again, with no college education and no business experience, here I am an entrepreneur. Oh, and by the way, my parents mortgaged their home to put me into business. So they had everything on the line as well, which was pretty incredible that they would take that chance on me. So I, I had a lot riding on this. And I think that we're all fed that lie that to be successful, you know, you have to have this degree, you have to come from this background, you have to have uh, you know, this amount of funding to, to launch your product or your idea. And I didn't have any of those things. So now how I like to word it is that we work more on our wishbone than we do on our backbone. Our wishbone is, I wish I were smarter. I wish I were prettier. I wish I were skinnier. I wish I had more money. I wish they gave me more opportunities. I wish I had that college degree. And working on your wishbone, where is that going to get you? I was never, ever the smartest person in a room. And that always held me back. Why can't I be the smartest person in a room? And I would walk into a room and I would assume that person is smarter than I am. And, and then what did I do? I would shrink. I would diminish myself. I would go hide in the corner. I'm not worthy to be in this room. And eventually, somebody said to me, you know what? You, you may not be the smartest person, but gosh, you're so likable. You're so happy. You're so energetic. You, you make coffee nervous. That's, that's what they told me. You make coffee nervous. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I can't, I'm not the smartest person, but you know what? I can be the most positive person in a room. And that's mm. going to get me super far. Well, so this is really interesting. I, you're talking about self-worth as well as, as what you hear from other people. And, and again, it can go so many different directions on this, but you also talked about being told early that, you know, you weren't a good reader. Um, these are really pivotal things. Like, especially as young people, we, what we hear, um, we take on. And we own it. And I, you know, I have family members that have struggled really with specifically like dyslexia and and not processing. And I I know what we hear, especially in those early years, it sticks with us forever. Mm -hmm. And it's so good to hear you talk about that because you're an author and here you are talking about not having the education and coming through building businesses. And here you are writing, you know, successful books, speaking around the world um, that's a huge arc and people don't think they're going to get there when they're, when, especially when they're hearing that. I, I love the word grit. I think what you're talking about is having grit, you yeah. know, which is a sort of an difficult to define. I know Okies feel that there's a lot of grit. Of course we kept, you know, we kept plowing the, the grit, the dirt for a long time until the, the dust bowl showed up. But, um, I think you're talking about that, that toughness, like backbone. Um, so if it's not wishbone and it's working on your backbone, how, how does somebody work on the backbone? Because you, you had to have that guts, you know, that grit. I, I like that word grit. I also yeah. like the word hustle. <laughs> Again, yeah. you didn't invite me. I invited myself. I, I've, <laughs> I, I've been with the Palm Mitchell Company for over 30 years, but they never invited me to be a part of that. It's not like I waited for the phone to ring. Guess what, you guys? I don't know about you, Taylor, but the phone does not ring. Maybe for you it rings. You know, you got uh, good hair. <laughs> the phone... <laughs> The phone does not ring. We, we make things happen. I interviewed this guy for my, my podcast, uh, David Wagner, and he, and he told me that his salons, his hair salons, were voted the best salons in the Twin Cities for the last 10 years in a row. And I said to him, I said, David, that's incredible. I said, who voted? He said, I did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Love that. So mentorship is a big part of like, who you are. How, how did your mentors help you to become the leader that you are today? Um, because I, I, I was looking for hope. 
So when you come from a place of desperation, you're just looking for a little small glimmer of hope. So the mentors that I was drawn to, uh, first of all, and there's lots of backstory behind this, but first of all, my first mentors were women. Like I, I needed my, my mentors, my heroes to be women. Uh, I was at a point in my life where I didn't really care what uh, a strong, powerful man had to say. I wanted to hear what a, a powerful woman had to say. And so people like Louise Hay, and again, I mentioned Marianne Williamson earlier. Mm. Those were the types of, of, of mentors that I was drawn to. Maybe it was just that I needed that mothering. I needed somebody who was going to, to uh, have that empathy. And mm-hmm. n- not that a man can't provide that, and, and, and I want to be that type of a, a boss. I want to be that type of a friend and that type of a mentor that, that does have, have empathy and compassion uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's the man's point of view to just, you know, buck up and work through it and, you know, put yeah. on your big britches and, <laughs> and, and, and I needed, I needed a woman to say, guess what? It's okay to cry. What, <laughs> what you're going through, my gosh, this is, this is tough. This is really difficult stuff. Let's work through this. And it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. Wow. And sometimes we don't hear that from, from all the mentors that we follow. And so I purposely chose mentors who provided hope for me. And I like that word hope because you can be down and out in, in every way possible. You can be down and out physically and financially and spiritually. But if there's just a small glimmer of hope, that means that you can do something with that. And so I think that we need to be purveyors of hope. We need to be people who sell hope to our people, to the people that we have influence with. And that's my definition of leadership is someone who has influence. Leadership is not a position. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is an attitude. It's a mindset. And you could be brand new working for a company. So you're being paid less than anybody else. You have less experience than anybody else. But if you can be the person that brings hope, you bring fun. I know that that's part of the questions that you had sent me in advance, like why is having fun at work so important? You be the person that inspires teamwork and brings out laughter in people. My gosh, that's leadership. And yet you don't have the title or the position. So leadership is about influence over other people. That's so uh, good. I couldn't agree more. And, and going back to, to mentorship, I know when you started out, you probably didn't have those contacts. So what did you do to get those high-powered mentors in your life? And what advice would you give our listeners who say, I'm in that boat. I don't have access to any high-powerful people. How can I get them to pour into me? What advice would you give somebody? There's always somebody close by that is one step ahead. So just find those people. They don't always have to be famous authors or famous celebrities it's, it's, it's the super nice guy who opened the door for you at Walmart. You know, he's 80 years old and that's where he's decided that he's going to have his last career move and, and be there to welcome people and make people feel good about their jobs. Why can't that be your mentor? Yeah. So it doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be famous people. But part of your question is about having access. Um, you only get what you ask for. So yeah, I've been turned down many, many times or I send out emails that never get responses, but sometimes I do get a response. Sometimes I do sneak backstage, one of a thousand people who are wanting to get backstage and somehow I find my way backstage and so I'll, I'll make friends with people like uh, Dr. Daniel Amen who, from Amen's Clinic. Um, yes, I, yep. he's, now, my gosh, you know who he is. He's, 
He, now he's on the. He was, have you interviewed him? Are you serious? We love him. He's fantastic. In fact, we met him because of your event, because of, in part, because of you. Well, I met him because I stalked him. <laughs> Again, I, I, I was in a, I was in a desperate situation. I had a family member who we had tried all kinds of things. That this family member was struggling with with depression and anxiety, all kinds of things. And we just weren't getting any answers. And so I came across Dr. Amen um, through doing some, some research, found out that his clinic was close by, found out that he lives basically in my backyard. And so I just pushed it and I pursued it. And eventually uh, had had my brain scanned by Dr. Amen and then got to meet him yeah. and and um, I had theater tickets that I said, hey, would you and your wife like to take my tickets and go? So I, I gave something back to to my mentor and built a relationship, meaning to have a relationship with a mentor, uh, a hero is the same as building any kind of a friendship or, or a relationship. It's about it's about give and take. It's about it's about providing that love and that gratitude. And because sometimes with a mentor, all we do is we take, take, take. You know, you could do this for me. Can you provide this information? Can you make this contact for me? And we forget that, gosh, these people need that, that gratitude back in return. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many questions that are coming to mind. Um, you know, I want to get back to some specific, um, specific parts of your narrative because there are, I mean, it's all, you know, baked into all of this is your choice of mindset, which we hear. I mean, I, Honestly, I'm so grateful that you're on this with us because you're speaking to the heart of what Movers and Shakers is about, which is the spirit of using what you have uh, to make a difference. And um, so maybe just rewind a little bit and talk about, you know, not having that typical background to be in the beauty industry, but you find yourself building this bridge to education, connecting to Paul Mitchell. Just just take us back to that story of how you stepped into the beauty industry because it's, talk about a competitive world, talk about a, a, you know, an area where you don't just walk in necessarily, but you, you've built something that's really incredible. Thank you. Well, again, I, I, I sort of hesitate telling this story to especially somebody like you, Taylor, but um, I actually had a, a, a hit song in, uh, in South America back in uh, April of 1981. And so all of a sudden I had some money that I wanted to uh, invest in some type of a business. I had friends that were hairdressers. They talked me into opening up a little hair salon. It was probably the size of, of my closet. It had three little chairs in that salon. Uh, and of course, back then I was the, the towel boy. I was the receptionist. I was the janitor. I, did, I was the accountant. I did everything because that's what you do. But I fell in love with the beauty industry. I fell in love with hairdressers. What do they say? Hairdressers go to work every single day with the intention of having fun. Now, that's the culture that I want to belong to. And so I love hairdressers. And the good news is that hairdressers love me. And we formed this incredible partnership. And, and, and I'm certainly not one to, to uh, avoid opportunities or to think that I'm not worthy of opportunities simply because I don't have that license. So I'm not a licensed hairdresser, uh, and, but, but that never held me back. I have to tell you that for me, happiness does not come naturally to me. To some right. people, happiness does come naturally to them. To me, my whole life, even to this day, it, it never has. And by the way, that used to really piss me off because I used to think, you know, how many more books do I have to read? Why, why can't I coast once in a while when it comes to my happiness? You know what? I can't coast. I know that every single day, every single day, there are certain things that I have to do 
in order to be happy that day. I know what those things are. I'm very loyal. I'm very disciplined with those things. And now I'm one of the happiest people that I know, but I still have to work on it every single day. Well, I found that in the beauty industry and and maybe in other industries as well that revolve around the arts, whether that's music, whether that's hairdressers, whether that's uh, drama, that oftentimes people who are attracted to the arts can, can struggle when it comes to fitting into traditional educational environments not necessarily the, the popular kids in high school, not necessarily those who fit into a, a college, uh, university type educational environment. Um, yeah. And so n- not necessarily supported by mom and dad. So when, when they made the announcement, hey, I want to be a hairdresser, that isn't always good news for mom and dad. And so I set out to change that. I felt like if I could create a culture where, where that group of people feel again, safe, they feel loved, they feel like they're making a difference, they feel like they belong to something, because those were the things that I was looking for, and I still look for those things today. And that's why I fell in love with the beauty industry, and that's why the beauty industry has been so good to me all these years. I I love that so much. Yeah, I want to capitalize on what you said, a culture to to feel loved. And I'm going to tell you a little story. I'd love you to tell me how that makes you feel. So this idea of making people feel loved we got connected with Paul Mitchell to school. It's been a year now and had you out to our very, the first event you came out to, it was in March and we actually put a job fair together as well. What was very interesting that day is we saw our guests coming through. They look at the, the job stuff. Then they walked over to the Paul Mitchell booth and they got these fresh haircuts and you literally saw a change in everyone's demeanor and the, like the confidence level just dramatically went up and you saw people going over and applying for jobs that hadn't had access to a job in months or maybe a year. And all that confidence came from a haircut, which is more than just a haircut. And I think it goes back to that culture of love. What does that invoke in you? What kind of feelings does that bring to you because you set that standard in place? Well, <laughs> okay. Now now, now you're going to get me to start crying here because that's you're exactly right. That The fact that hairdressers touch people. We're the, we're the one industry where we touch our customers without getting sued. You, you, you love it when the hairdresser touches you. I mean, doctors get to touch their clients, but do you like it when the doctor touches you? Yeah. Taylor, don't yeah. say yes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. I mean, you, you instill pride. You know, with Food on the Move, it's one of the beautiful things that we get to experience all the time is we, we believe in culture and it started with being inspired by an ambassador. And an ambassador is literally a U.S. ambassador was our inspiration. Incredible person named um, Ambassador Perkins. Um, but he was also, the idea of being an ambassador is building those bridges. And we see that when we feed people, you're feeding whole people. And I think that's what you're talking about with the hair uh, experience is you're, you're building a connection of people that are whole. It's not... It's not just a haircut. It's a sense of worth. And, um, and it, we, see, we see that. I mean, every time there's such a generosity of spirit when the Paul Mitchell team is at a Food on the Move event. And, and that is so obviously baked in to the culture that you've helped foster. And, and I will say, and, I mean, obviously we're, we're fans of what you've done. We clearly are inspired by it. But I just want to emphasize there's a lot of people that have ideas and there are a lot of people that, that inspire, even speak about it. But I think you're unique in having played the role of, of speaking on it and, and also having really cultivated something that has both a local and a very 
national and a much broader umbrella. Both those two things are connected. And that that's hard to do. Honestly, that is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of building those small connections locally. We see it in Tulsa. We see this great community. Can you talk a little bit about um, building a team and how you get there? Because you can't be everywhere. You 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 foster relationships with with people that launch those uh, independent schools, those connect those local schools. Help help our listeners just kind of get a sense of what that's like to build a team and and replicate. You're because you're ultimately replicating yourself in pieces because you've helped foster. A, you know, this is what we're about. It's not easy. Well, you, right, right. You you just now said it. This is what we're about. So the, the the idea of it doesn't matter if it's if it's a a family unit, it doesn't matter if it's a four business company, and it doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit local organization such as Food on the Move. And by the way, I hope you ask me the question of, of why I'm such a fan of what you do because I I have a lot to share. Every successful organization, again, a family unit, a for-profit or a nonprofit organization is run by what we call systems. Systems. A system is defined as this is how we do things around here. Right. That's my definition of a system. This is how we do things around here. This is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is what we stand for. This is what our objectives are. This is what the end result looks like. This is what what it's going to take to get there. And so once you have all of those things in place, um, it it doesn't matter whether or not I'm physically in the building because, as you just mentioned, we're we're asking students from all over the country in our Palm Mitchell schools, 100-plus locations, they've never physically met me. Right? I'm not physically in their building inspiring them and asking them to raise money and raise awareness and make a difference in their local communities by partnering with wonderful local organizations such as Food on the Move. But, but what is there in their building is this belief system. It's the systems that this is how we do things around here. And how we develop that system, first of all, is, is written down and then it's repeated all the time. So... To have a successful marriage, you're not just sitting down with your wife once a year to have a download of what's happening in our family life. It's, it's, it's ongoing daily conversations. This is what's going on. Wait a minute. We got off track here. That's not who we are as a family. That's not what we stand for. Th- those aren't our values. Let's get back on track here. And it's, it's constant ongoing conversations. The same thing happens in the, in the work environment. And in some work environments, it's like once a quarter if you're lucky. And usually it's only once a year do you sit down and have that evaluation with the, with the man in charge, with the woman in charge. No, it has to be ongoing conversations. So like when somebody gets off track, let's say they show up to work late. It's, 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 it, the conversation is, is, is about, wait a minute, this is what we all signed up for. It's written down. This is what being on time looks like. You agreed to this. Is there something going on in your life that's preventing you from following through with what you agreed to be doing? How can I support you? How can I guide you? How can I coach you to get back on track with that? Those are the conversations rather than, wow, you're in trouble. I caught you. You know, I caught you. You, you, you can show up to work on time. Every day of the week, and then all of a sudden, one day you show up late, what happens? I caught you. And those are the old cultural beliefs that we're trying to get rid of. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you said certain things that touch on, that I touch on as an entrepreneur, you know, even outside of 
uh, what we do with Fruit on the Move, which is things that sound really straightforward but are actually very hard. Um, you know, just writing it down, like actually writing it, putting it up on the board, for, for one, because people have to sign on. Like, they have yeah. to actually own up. I mean, I've I've unsuccessfully written mottos and had people just go, well, that's just a phrase. And I've also seen other times where it's, you know, you, you have an idea and it and you, you really does connect. And you, what you're talked about, I think, is such a great thing to make sure to not miss, which is you have to repeat it. Mm-hmm. You have to live it. And you also, I think, need people to participate in that motto. You need for people to co-sign and go, yep, absolutely. I agree with you, Win. I'm I'm in. And, you know, that's that takes a real determination and real focus. Have, have, have you ever tra- trained a dog? Not successfully, no, <laughs> actually. Okay, well, how many times do you have to say sit? Yeah, so many. Sit, More times than sit, I've ever said. Sit, yeah. sit, sit. It's over and over and over again. And that's how, that's the analogy that I, I give to people in the company. It's like, this is what your dress code needs to look like. Sit, sit, sit. This is how you handle a complaining customer. Sit, sit, sit. It's over and over and over again. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is how we do things around here. And it's constant, constant engagement and communication and coaching to help people get there and stay there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned a little bit earlier the reason why you are you know, so passionate about working with Food on the Move. So what, what are some of the things that you loved about Food on the Move and why you chose to partner with us? Okay, first of all, you're super, super nice people. And that's important because some people think, well, we're doing God's work here so I can be a bitch. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's true. We've seen that before. You know, and I'm sorry to use that word, but I even put it in my book that you can't be a bitch for God. You know, people think that because we're doing good works here, I, I I don't have to be nice to you because I'm doing the Lord's work. And I just don't believe in that. So... You know, you're, you're, you're super nice people. Not only are, are you nice, but you're, you're, you're grateful. I, I just can't tell you how many times in, in, in that one day that we spent with each other and it was our event. And I just can't tell you how many times I felt this, this love and gratitude that, that came from you. And that was super important. And, it, and it's not just one person. It's everybody that we have contact with at Food on the Move. It's, 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 it's all of you. So obviously that's part of your culture. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you hire that, you train for that. It's not by accident. You know, what do they say? There's, there's 50,000 cast members at Disney. You know, I don't think that Disney was able to find 50,000 people who automatically possess that skill set of creating the happiest place on earth. Nuh-uh. They train, mm-hmm. train, 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 train. And, and if you're having a bad day as Snow White at Disneyland, sorry, you can't go out there smoking a cigarette saying, I'm just having a really bad day today. I, I just need this yeah. thing right now. No, that's not Snow White. Snow White doesn't do that. This is what Snow White does. This is how she looks. This is how she acts. And if you sign on to be Snow White, this is exactly what you do. So I just think that it's, it's a process of training people and hiring the right people. But that's one of the reasons why, why I'm a fan of Food on the Move. I also like the fact that you're you're starting locally because some people think that, well, if, if, if we're really going to make a difference, we have to f- set up a food bank that's going to serve the entire country. And since that's not possible, why bother? Right. You know what? what remember that story of the, the little kid who's uh, the, the, the ocean 
brought in a whole bunch of uh, starfish and they were all stranded there on the beach. And so this little kid is going down and he's picking them up one by one and he's throwing them into the ocean. And some man said, you know, there's thousands here. You can't make a difference. And he said, well, I made a difference to this one. And he throws another starfish into the ocean. And I like that story because we, we start that way. We start locally. Yeah. We start with our own little communities. I can't tell you how many times people, because we work with this organization called Food for Africa. And I can't tell you how many times people say, "When can you please put me on a plane and fly me to Africa so that I can volunteer my time? And I'm like, have you volunteered at your local food bank? So you want to jump on a plane, which, by the way, that would probably cost me about ten grand to buy a plane ticket. If I took that $10,000 and donated it to your local food bank organization, and then you volunteered, you showed up there, there are, there are starving people in your own community that you haven't worked with, yet you want to jump on a plane to go feed starving children in another country. So yeah. I like the fact that, that you're inspiring people to think locally. What can you do locally that's going to make a difference right in your own backyard? Yeah. We believe in it. We, I mean, I, I also love that about what we get to see every day. And, and I'll tell you, you said um, certainly niceness and you know and being kind to people which i think kindness and ultimately before kindness is really love like and something that's something deeper and you know we 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 have grown a, a great deal in this team over the last couple of years especially but we started off entirely built on volunteerism and i annoyingly always come back to that um, because i'm so proud of how much we were able to achieve through in kind through partnership and, and one of the reasons why i love that is we found you can't train, well, you can, you can cultivate, I think, but you can't make somebody have a heart. That's something that's deep. And, and when you find a good heart, when you find somebody that is good-hearted, that's, that's an action. That's not just, hey, this guy hugs a lot. It's a choice. You know, it's the person that shows up early. It's our, our DJ, DJ Ed, that's done, you know, gosh, probably thousands of events at this point. Um, he was a truck driver, but as a DJ, you know, Ramal, who was one of our first, you know, early volunteers, he was a, a friend of a friend and then jumped in and he's a DJ as well and was pulling in volunteers. And Kevin, who I met with another nonprofit and was ready to show up and help load tents, you know, and was one of the first people to say, you know, I see this vision you've got Taylor for what's next. How can I have you articulate it? Because you can't do it on your own. And I mean, it's incredible. the students at Paul Mitchell it's that show up every Mitchell. event. Yeah. yeah. And so that whole spirit you're talking about, it's, you, I will say we see it, but it, you also, when, you, when you're fighting for it, you also see it in others, which is what we love so much about the culture and, and why we, we're so proud to get to partner with, with the Paul Mitchell schools. And, and frankly, we're here to report back to you with something you do know, which is it does make a difference. You know? it, and it Paul really Mitchell does. brings a party. I mean, oh my gosh. They're, yeah. they're always <laughs> help having, get, helping us get the, uh, the line dances yep. going and oh, awesome. glittering kids' hair. Oh, yes. it, it's amazing just seeing kids go by or adults go by your booth and just the party that's happening, and you yeah. see the smile instantly put on their face. I mean, there's still glitter in my it's still, hair, yeah. actually. <laughs> Tether sounds glitter, but... I mean, the yeah. other night, there was this little girl that her hair was braided up, and she saw them putting glitter and braiding up hair, and I could see her as she's walking through the line, unbraiding her hair and getting ready to, you know, get ready to come it's to like, the booth. And it's yeah. so much excitement that they bring to the events. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's making wow. these kids feel special. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, you, that's awesome. Your and touch I'm, goes I'm, way beyond where you're at, when. That makes me super happy, and 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 Rody and Natasha there, who are Absolutely. local at our our Pumichel School, I'm I'm just so so grateful to them, and they're wonderful leaders. They're huge, huge 
uh, fans uh, of what you all do. That they're, they they champion your cause. They are the ones who originally contacted me, and we always encourage uh, every single one of our Palm Beach schools. Again, we have over a hundred to partner with local charities within their organizations. Because we, we work with some some global international nonprofit organizations like Thirst Project and Food for Africa and the Gary Sinise Foundation and and others. But I I heard this quote, and I wish I knew the, the uh, originator, service is the rent that we pay for room on this earth. And all of us are taking up space, which means we got to pay rent. And how we pay rent for the space that we're taking up is giving back, making a difference. And, and sometimes uh, it's writing out a $5 check, making that donation. And sometimes you don't have the money to give, but you, you can show up physically. And I, I you know, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Like my good friend, Marie Osmond, took me to Children's Miracle Network Hospital. And she's, she's one of the founders of that incredible organization that serves 170 hospitals. And she has been instrumental in raising like $6 billion, billion with a B dollars. Incredible, incredible woman. Again, a celebrity who does wonderful things with her power, with her celebrity. And so she took me to the hospital, and, and I was, I was a, a blubbering idiot in the corner. I, hear, I was there to spread joy, and all I did was just cry. I, was just, I would just fall apart seeing these little kids who were mm. suffering and, and going through chemotherapy. And, you know, whereas other people could show up, and they were the, the life of the party, and it didn't phase them in that way, and they were there for the kids. And I just was not that type of a person. Uh, but I'm really good at raising money. <laughs> so some people are really good at showing up and getting their hands dirty and volunteering. And, you know, Kevin unpacks tents. Is that what you said, Kevin? What, whatever you do, you do what you that can was, that do. That was my start. Yeah, that was the start. That exactly. The start. Or you're a DJ. You do what you can do. Um, and then some people are really good at raising money. I'm, I'm not all that good at showing up myself and, and getting my hands dirty because, again, I just get too emotional and... But I'm, I'll ask anybody for money. I'm so good at asking for money. Can, can you explain it's the, not easy. Can you explain the be nice philosophy and how it shaped your approach to business and education? Because that's a very uh, intriguing strategy in being able to connect the two. You know, there's, I, I want to, first of all, undo all the myths of what it means and what it doesn't mean to be nice. You know, what do they say? Nice guys finish last. And I just don't believe that at all. Uh, the, the example that I give is you're dating somebody new and you're trying to explain your new boyfriend or girlfriend to your friends and like, oh my gosh, he's got this incredible job and he great, drives this great, great car and his mom is this wonderful, successful woman. And by the way, he is so nice. Like that's the final, that's the final share that you want to give to your friends. He's all of these things. She's all of these things. And she's so nice. Like that's the cherry on the top. Yeah. Um, and we all believe in the law of attraction that what goes around comes around karma, cause and effect, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's absolutely real. You know, 50% of people uh, who quit their jobs did so to get away from a mean boss. And by the way, those who quit are not the worst employees. They are the best employees. The best employees quit because they know they deserve better. They deserve to be treated with love and kindness and niceness and respect. 
the bad employees, they stick around. They know that they're lucky to have a job. We, we call them spoons. They just stir things up. That's what I like to say. <laughs> so just the, the, the quality, the, the character, the characteristic of being a nice person, whether that's at home, whether that's as a boss, whether that's as an employee, whether that's as a volunteer, that's a, a trait that we need to celebrate. And I love that. Beyond celebrating it, how do you cultivate that attitude of niceness, in, especially in the workplace? Such a great question. Um, now, again, we have to undo the myths. People think that if, if, if I'm the boss, being nice will make me appear that I'm weak. So let's undo that myth. And there's a, a system for how we communicate with each other. So, for example, it's, it would never happen in a Paul Mitchell school for the team to come together in a staff meeting, in a huddle, and say, does anybody have any problems? We don't use those words. Like I was, I was looking at the terminology that you guys use in your marketing, and even, even your terminology of the words that you use, how you speak with each other, how you market yourself, is very, very different. And I think that that's huge. Like I love that you said, you said you, you, you serve food insecure areas. Just, just, just the language that you use is, is super important. And so in my company, you can't say the word problem. We don't have problems. We have opportunities. And opportunities come with solutions. So I can't raise my hand and say, I have a problem. No, we don't have, we don't have problems around here. Okay, well, well, I, I have an opportunity here and I've come up with two solutions. My mother taught us, if it's to be, it's up to me. As little kids, we were running around saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. My mother taught us at a very early age that if we had a challenge with something, we had to come up with a solution. I know grown adults who still have not learned that lesson. They think okay. it's their job to just bring their problems to you, to dump them onto you, and it's your job to fix their problems. And I just don't believe in that type of a culture. So, Well, we're, we're getting a masterclass, so I want to... I- I, I want to just, part of me is like, I don't want to just keep asking questions because I want to give back to you because I feel like I'm getting so much energy and life from that. But I, I want to ask you the follow-up, which is um, being nice and being kind and still getting stuff done. I, I'll say I observe in you that clarity of purpose. And I think people do need coaching to figure out how to apply getting things done and holding people accountable with being nice. And I, I go to the word kind as well, because ultimately you're talking about empathy. You're talking about really seeing other people, not just do this because I told you to. But just give us a little extra nugget on that, because you, you, when you run a business or anything, you know, when you run a family, you know, the kids got to take the trash out. You know, the, right. the, the people, you do have to have them show up. You, you, you hold people accountable, obviously. And just kind of giving people nuggets on, look, you can be nice, you can be kind, and you can still hold people accountable, right? Oh, and, absolutely. And by the way, to, to, to not hold them accountable, what's nice about that? Right. Yeah. To, to, to allow people to get away with things, which means they're not growing. Other team members are suffering because of that person's lack of responsibility and showing up. Tell me what's nice about that. You can fire someone and still be nice about it. You can break up with someone and still be nice about it. Being nice does not mean that you have to wear pastel colors and talk in a really soft voice. <laughs> I, I'd be screwed. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you gave a great perspective. You just basically instantly framed it's about perspective. You know, realizing that people go niceness, oh, that means timidity. That means to be passive. That means to be able to be walked over. It's completely the opposite, right? You're embodying that. You're saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually responsible. You know, I'm taking responsibility for my role as a leader and, and, and it, deciding to communicate that in a way that's respectful. Is what, that's what I hear. I've got some great examples. Because you, you're right. We don't just want to talk in, in uh, general terms here. We want ve- very specifics. How do you implement it? Here, here, here's a couple. Uh, we praise publicly. We, we coach and reprimand privately. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes bosses want to embarrass somebody in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, a, a good boss will, will take full responsibility when things don't go right. A bad boss blames everybody else when things go wrong. A bad boss takes credit when things are going right. And so, again, we praise publicly. So every single day, and I'm telling you, every single day, there is what we call a team huddle. My team in every single location, physically, they come together every single day. And sometimes that that is a 10-minute meeting. Sometimes it's a 30-minute meeting. And I can tell you exactly what they talk about and what they do not talk about. And remember, I'm not in the building, but I know exactly what they're talking about and I know exactly what they are not talking about. And how they start off every single team huddle is in celebration. What do we have to be grateful for? What do we have to celebrate today? That sets the tone for the rest of the meeting. So yes, we can talk about what's not working. We can talk about that customer who complained. We can talk about the mistakes that we made because we all make them in business and in our personal lives. We can discuss those things, but let's set the tone for this. And so it's always about celebrating each other. Study after study proves that when a team of people are laughing and having fun with each other, Teamwork goes up, absenteeism diminishes. And so it's one of the things that we focus on. How can we all love each other? How can we have fun with each other? How can we laugh with each other? Oh, and by the way, we're also running a business here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, and by the way, we're also running a business here. It just tells you something about the, the priority that you're giving as well, so meaning, meaning that the business will have a chance of succeeding at such a greater level by putting those things at the top. Can I just say that, you know, communication is really, really huge because I believe that when there are problems at work or in your family life, let's talk about your family life as well with your, with your spouse, with your kids. I believe that problems come up because relationships break down. And I believe that relationships break down because there's a lack of communication end of story. Meaning it's not like our relationship broke down, Taylor, because you decided to become a jerk all of a sudden. That's not what happened. What happened was, Taylor, we're not communicating. Let's communicate with each other. What does that communication need to look like? It needs to be loving. It needs to be uh, filled with, with respect. It needs to be timely. If we have a challenge with each other, let's resolve that within 24 hours. And by the way, all these things that I'm sharing with you, these are, these are part of our cultural beliefs that are written down and they're talked about on a regular. Yes, they are on a poster, but they're not only on a poster. You know those posters that, that you can buy and there's, a, there's an eagle that's soaring and there's some beautiful quote? I love let's just those. hang that poster and the culture is fixed, right? No. <laughs> well, by the way, can I clarify we were just doing metaphorically, right? We're good, aren't we? 
Totally. Uh, good. <laughs> I was totally getting worried good. for a second. Like, what? There's no, no communication <laughs> breakdown. No, but it's, um, you know, I, I emphasized like that it's hard to get things earlier. You were mentioning having it, writing it down. I know as a as an entrepreneur that it is it is hard, very hard to both then crystallize it, then embody it, then mm-hmm. get people to co-sign on it, and then to live it. Um, you were making me think of even. I, I can think of a couple like retrospectively very cringeworthy times for myself when we were first running, starting to run a company and trying to be a record company to start where I know I, I just bawled somebody out in, in a room and I thought the only way I'm going to get this, I'm, I went through a project and somebody did a job and I knew that they were the reason this, this didn't get done and I leaned in in a team meeting because I felt like that was, I needed to hold somebody accountable. And I remember finishing that meeting and realizing that I had just completely destroyed somebody that had stood there alongside me over and over and over and, and just going, what did I do? But going into it, I thought, no, this is, this is where it is to be a a boss. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure to not skim over this mistake. Mm -hmm. And you miss all the times that that person had followed through on everything. And, and so, I mean, I'm just thinking about real examples of where even the best intentions to be, you know, to be a good business person or to run a team that you can lean exactly in the opposite and wrong direction. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's, I'm sure had those moments, even with their kids, like yeah. well, I probably leaned a little bit too yeah. hard on that yeah. one. Yeah. For sure. You know, what a, what a great story to tell Taylor. And, 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 and the fact that you're transparent with that story, you could have buried that story and never shared it with anybody. But for you to share that story makes people, it gives people hope. Wow, Taylor's successful. He has a name and yet that, that is something that he went through. Maybe there's hope for me. And by the way, that person that you're talking about, Taylor, I'm sure that they went home and took that to their, to their family. Yeah. Right? So it wasn't just that one person who was impacted. It wasn't, it wasn't just the other team members who witnessed this thing happening. Yeah, exactly. They then took that home to their family. Sure. So, no, it's 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 dangerous and toxic and and it's hard because I I'm I'm looking at myself as a 20-year-old who when we tried to start a label and we were very early in starting things but still didn't know anything mm-hmm. about really running a team and just you're I'm I'm wanting to talk to that guy and and fast forward and say being good at this does not mean X, Y, and Z, <laughs> yeah. you know, because right. it's, it's, you're scared when you don't know whether you're going to get something to make money or if you're starting a nonprofit, how you're going to earn the revenue so you can give back, so you can fulfill your obligations to people. And we think about all the time, how are we going to feed, how, you know, we're excited when we see people that need help. We also know every month that we have thousands of people that are counting on us to be there mm-hmm. when they need it. Yeah. And I think that circles back to what you were talking about with mentorship. You find someone that's one step ahead of you. Yep. So they've, had those mistakes. They've yelled at the people. They've, you know, had those moments where they weren't nice and now they can teach you and you can grow from that experience. Mm-hmm. By the way, those people are everywhere. Yeah. They really are everywhere. They're not just on the bookshelf at Barnes and Noble. These people are everywhere. <laughs> and if we all, we, and we have to be on the hunt. So just when you leave your door, just be on the hunt for those types of people. You know, for me, it can be a waitress who just, you know, calls me darling. Hey, darling, what do you want for breakfast this morning? Oh my gosh, that's, that brightened up my day. She has no idea who I am, but she had the courage to call me darling and made me feel like, like I was her, her best friend that day. I'm going to take care of you, sweetheart. What do you want for breakfast? A big thank you to Webco, North America's foremost provider of innovative tubing solutions for sponsoring the Movers and Shakers podcast. 
Since 1994, Wilco has provided high-quality carbon steel, stainless steel, and other metal specialty tubing products designed to industry and customer specifications. With five production facilities in Oklahoma and Pennsylvania, and eight value-added facilities in Oklahoma, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Texas, serving customers globally. Wilco has been such an incredible supporter of Food on the Move and 100% committed to building a trusted company for their teammates, customers, business partners, investors, and community. Learn more about strength, agility, and innovation of Webco at www.webcotube.com. If you're in the Tulsa area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our monthly community food and resource festivals. Each month, we host a party with a food truck and a DJ and plenty of fun activities and resources from our community partners. Each person also receives a bag of fresh, local produce. Guests are invited to pay as they can, allowing anyone to support Food on the Move to enjoy these events. While ensuring families in need of assistance have access to fresh produce, hot meals, and community resources. Our monthly events are held at Chamberlain Park, Greenwood Cultural Center, and the Tulsa Community College Northeast Campus. Get all of your details at www.foodonthemoveok.com. Who you are, in, in so many senses, is a mover and shaker, you know? Um, and, you know, that's the name of our podcast in, in totality. What would you say the term of movers and shakers is to you? Someone that has a story to tell, and they're not afraid to tell that story. I, I, I truly believe that the best teachers, the best heroes, the best parents, the best mentors are storytellers. And by the way, everybody has a story to tell. So when, it's, when, when we are transparent and forthcoming with our stories, and then we encourage other people, we give other people permission to tell their stories, I believe that it's that storytelling that brings people together. Um, we're, we're, I think, especially nowadays, we can feel so divided on this planet right now. Um, yeah. We unfriend somebody because they voted you know, differently than we did. And so those, those conversations where they were healthy and they, they were productive and you could learn from each other, dinner conversations, or th- that disappeared. That, that, that's gone because... If I find out in advance that you voted differently than, than I did, I, I, don't, I don't really care what you have to say. I don't want to hear your opinion on why you believe the way that you believe. And so I just think that by storytelling, we humanize each other. We humanize ourselves and we humanize each other. And I've, I've sat in on seminars where the speaker just quoted doctrine after principle and, and I got nothing out of what they had to say because right. anybody could have, could have, preach that doctrine. And then I've been in seminars where there's a speaker or a teacher on stage and all they did, they spent an hour, two hours just telling their story. Never once did they stop in the middle of their story to say, and by the way, here's what I learned and what now you need to learn and what you need to do. They never did that. All they did was tell their story. But by telling their story, they allowed the learner, the audience to extract what they all needed to learn, what they needed to gain from that. I love, love, love storytelling. So for me, a leader, a mover, a shaker, that's someone who really, really is forthcoming with their personal stories, with their personal journey. Wow. Matt, I love that. That's such, such some great truth that you, you said right there. Uh, here, here's a 
a, a good question. I'm looking forward to your answer on because you were talking about being a mover and shaker and encouraging people to make a difference. What would you say to that person who is, you know, they think, well, I, I'm just one person. I, I live in a small area. What would you say to that person and say, hey, make a difference, be a mover and shaker? How would you encourage that one individual? Just start super, super small. Maybe you can't write out the $1,000 check today, but can you give $5? And, and I guarantee you, if you wait until you have enough money to be able to write out the check for $1,000, you'll never mm-hmm. do it if you're not writing out the check today for $5. So just start super small. And sometimes when people have a passion for something, they want to make a difference. Like, how do you know what you want to get involved in? And my, my answer to that is what keeps you awake at night? There, there are certain yeah. issues and causes that keep me awake at night. Uh, the, the fight against sex trafficking keeps me awake at night. Yeah. Homelessness keeps me awake at night. The fact that there is plenty of food on this earth, there is plenty. And yet in our own backyards, in our own communities, communities of affluence, there are people who don't have enough. That keeps me awake at night. And that would be the advice that I give to somebody. How do I know what to get involved in? Whether it's uh, animals or the elderly, or it's, it's what keeps you awake at night. What, what, what truly, truly just makes your, your heart ache? And then just start small. Some people think that, well, to make a difference, I have to start my own nonprofit. I can't tell you how often I'm, I'm discouraging people from starting their own nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. find somebody, I guarantee you, there's somebody who's already doing and making a difference and they've done all the legwork of, of the filing and of the paperwork and uh, the nonprofit status. And they, they, maybe they have a warehouse already and they've already got a couple of volunteers and they're already uh, identified the, the, the people that they want to serve and they, they're already in that group. Just join them. And maybe it's just joining them for an hour a week or may, maybe then it can work into an uh, one day a week, and then you start to work into a part-time position, whatever that looks like. But just you know, start really, really small and just realize that that's what makes a difference. We, our Palm Mitchell schools have raised $24 million to date. And let me tell you something, our average donation is between $5 and $10. People think that to reach $24 million, that means that we're getting $1,000 donations. We don't receive $1,000 donations. We receive donations of $5 at a time, $10 at a time through bake sales, car washes, cut-a-thons, very, very grassroots, and yet to date over $24 million. So had we back then said, well, I don't know how we're going to get out there and get people to give us $1,000. Had we started that way, I don't think that we would have lasted for more than a year. But this is our 20th year. And how we've gotten here is by, no, let's just focus on the $5. Let's just focus on the $5. Well, I, I want to speak to that as well as we're getting close to wrapping up and, and be really specific to the listeners. Food on the Move is, has been the beneficiary of this incredible decision to partner. And this event that we were speaking about, being able to, to be with you uh, in the fall, was um, at your invitation to be there for the, the once-a-year gala, the, the fundraising that you all do across the country. Food on the Move was this, one of the charities that was selected in Tulsa. And 
we uh, were so blown away by the partnership. We were also the recipients of the, I think the largest local fundraiser for a nonprofit in the country was for Food on the Move, I think over $40,000, which was mm. funded by those donations yep. and by by the, by Rody and by the awesome team um, at Tulsa at Tulsa School. And, and we saw firsthand, I mean, that's that's become food for people, those $5, $10 donations, the, the energy... And not only do we get to see the team show up and, and be there to serve and to, to give people dignity, but but that 20 plus million, you know, that 40 plus thousand, this, just this last year came to, directly to a community that needed it. We saw it. It's unbelievable. And I want to just say something too that came, you know, you're talking about somebody unfriends you because they see how, you, you know, this way or that, I don't like what you did. Now I'm not your friend. You know, we, we've seen that uh, the partnerships more than more often than not, if you want to do anything, you you decide what you're going to work together on because you're not going to agree on everything. You know, right? Early on in Food on the Moves, we we had all these partners, many of which knew each other, and at least half of which never worked together. And we thought that's I, I, I look around the room. How can you guys not be working together? Well, because there's some criteria that caused them to not have each other's phone number, to not actually find a project, and so you know. Applause, you know, to you and and kudos to you guys and to what you've chosen to do, which is you've found common ground. You've helped people find common ground. Um, and that's why we've gotten to know you. So um, just really amazing to hear your story, Win, and, and thank you for what you do every day to, to put some niceness and some kindness and, and a lot of fun into the world. Well, thank you. I mean, that <laughs> it means a lot uh, coming from you. You know, when I know that so much has been said today and our listeners are going to really want to know more about you, can you kind of tell, tell our listeners where can they learn more about you and find about your story and, and your books and things like that? Could you give that information out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all through uh, my name. So my, my Instagram, my, my, all my social media, and then I have a website as well. It's winclaybaugh.com. So W-I-N-N-C-L-A-Y-B-A-U-G-H.com. And that's where I have, I also have my podcast on there. I've been doing podcasts uh, for 22 years. So back before the podcast term even existed, I was, I was interviewing people, you know, because remember I stalked them first and then I said, can I interview you? <laughs> and I was, I was mailing those interviews out, those recorded on, on cassette tapes. I was mailing those out to subscribers. So that's how long I've been doing this and, and how much I believe in the power of brilliant, brilliant conversations that matter. There are so many conversations right now that matter. There are people who know more about the real housewives than they know about food on the move. And that's just heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Well, we're certainly fighting to push push the the rock up the hill, and conversations like this really help to do it. And and genuinely, just really appreciate the time that you've given today, and and what you're putting into the world. It's great, and the inspiration. I hope everybody that's listening to this episode of Movers and Shakers just um, takes to heart re-listens. Listen to this episode, you know, over and over because you've got so much in there that is 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 heartfelt and frankly has a lot of hustle mm-hmm. and a lot of grit and and that's what we all need if we're going to be movers and shakers oh, 100%. So wow. yep. Win, thank you so much for being with us today. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much.
Wow. I am just blown away. Like So inspiring. So inspiring. There was just so much I took away from that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that he said at the beginning was, you know, he may not be the smartest person in the room, but he got in the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. He yep. worked yep. to get in the room to make sure that he could change his future because he was desperate. Moving and shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Moving yeah. and shaking. And, 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 and he called it desperation <laughs> yeah. as opposed to inspiration. But it's amazing that he divide so many odds yeah. mm-hmm. and because most people in this position could have easily, it's easy to walk away, but barely having a high school diploma. And yet look what he's doing now. Yeah. yeah. And then he defied the odds and then went and tried to change the world. Like, you know, he's, yeah. he's changing other people's situation that are yeah. in desperate situations. And I, I love his strategy. The fact that, you know, hairdressers touch people's lives and support people. And it's kind of like a therapy in a sense, yeah. you know, yeah. the way that they're there to help support people and make them feel better. And the fact that he's expanded that to so many other cities. And now, you know, he uses superpower in fundraising <laughs> and helping yeah to fundraise for so many other areas and implementing the local support with all of his uh, organizations that are across the, the country. So, I mean, it just amazes me that you can start from nowhere and really make an impact in so many other communities. And with the theme of this podcast, I mean, this couldn't be more on point. Using what you have, using the influence you have, starting mm-hmm. where you are. I mean, we meet people all the time that inspire us and you know what what's when saying you know what that person could be anywhere yeah don't wait you know to seek out those mentors my biggest takeaway from the conversation today one is that seeking out um seeking out your opportunity seeking out those people that that can bring life and energy and they don't have to be on a bookshelf <laughs> and, and also you know that that combination you know for those entrepreneurs that business owners that you can bring kindness you can bring niceness you can be you can be generous while being a good leader, mm-hmm. while getting stuff done, you know, and and realizing that to be nice and to be kind is to reach out and say, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to yeah. help. You're going to be a part of something bigger because I'm not going to going to brush it aside. I'm going to try and lean in and 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 have us all live up to our potential. It's oh, huge, yeah. and, and I'm love- going to make more of an impact because I'm being kind mm-hmm. rather than being a. The work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I love the fact that you see a. a, a a person who is replicating themselves in other. Yeah. And, and he's just, he's, he's going to have a legacy that mm-hmm. will far pass his life here on earth. Yeah. And, and I love that. And you see that in the Paul Mitchell school here in Tulsa that we have a lot of relationships with. And the ones that I've met around the country, they do have a little bit of a, a win about them. Yeah, that's right. I am so grateful for the opportunity for you guys to listen and answer this conversation and uh, how much of an impact it has made in our lives, man. So make sure that you check us out on our website to find out more details about Food on the Move and how you can get connected all over the world at www.foodonthemoveok.com. So make sure that you stay connected in everything that we do. And of course, to all of our movers and shakers that are out there, keep on moving. Thank you.